Okay, so today, <clears throat> what we're going to do is, uh, as far as the theme is concerned, if you are uh, taking notes, we're going to talk about how God's amazing grace transforms our suffering. How God's amazing grace transforms our suffering. And the reason why is that um, life as we know it is, um, uh, it's exciting, it's good, right? Um, life as we know it is an adventure to um, um, partake in, um, but in the midst of that um, great adventure with God, um, there are also sufferings that occur. And so Paul the Apostle is where we're going to uh, pick up his writing to the Corinthian church. Many of you are familiar with this set of verses. Um, I'll give a little context as we read it um, together. Um, but this is the Apostle Paul in the midst of his obedience to Christ, obeying the great call of God on his life, obeying his... <clears throat> ministry that was entrusted to him to actually be a minister of the gospel to the known world. But he's talking about the sufficient grace of God because in the midst of the obedience, in the midst of him doing that which God said to do, there were still challenges that he had to overcome and had to walk with God in the midst of his sufficient grace. So let's start by reading the scripture. Paul says, I must go on boasting Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on, behalf, on, on, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So Paul's obviously saying, this man that I won't speak of is me, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to put it off right now. He said, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And here we have Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And the problem in Corinth at this time when Paul was planning this church was that there were a group of teachers claiming to be apostles who came into the city trying to subvert the message of the gospel that Paul had been preaching. Paul, as he was trying to steer the church in the right direction, he succeeded in winning most of the uh, church over, but 
there was still a remnant who weren't convinced about his authenticity as a messenger of the gospel. And so he addresses the accusations of the perceived super apostles that were trying to challenge the message that he was preaching um, during that time, the pure and unadulterated message of the gospel. Now, the credentials of Paul and the credentials of the super apostles were contrasted, and it's an interesting contrast that he makes. Paul was obviously commissioned by God to write three-fourths of the New Testament letters by the hand of the Holy Spirit, but he still had to defend his ministry many times, and the way that he defended it was quite interesting. The credentials of the super apostles were their superior oratorical skills, their supernatural experiences, and a striking charisma and presence that they had in the midst of the people whenever they were walking amongst them. Paul's credentials, on the other hand, were listed a chapter before. Whenever we look at what Paul said, this is actually what gives me my credentials to be a minister of the gospel to you. He starts in chapter 11. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 23 through 27, he talks about the experiences that he had while trying to be a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. While trying to do what God said to do, he said, this is what I got in return. This is what I got in return. And he's comparing and contrasting the two experiences. And he says, are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm a better one. <laughs> Don't you love Paul? <laughs> Paul's not, doesn't lack confidence. He says, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. So meaning as he was preaching the gospel, there was persecution that broke out against him. And for anybody who ever says, I am, you know, a little bit, you know, uncomfortable sharing my faith because you think that somebody might think poorly of you. You think that somebody might talk about you. You think that somebody might think you're one of those people. You did not experience what Paul's experiencing. This is what Paul got for being a faithful witness of Jesus Christ in his time. He said more imprisonments, I'm sorry, go back. He says more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death, continue on. He says five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, meaning they beat me till the point of death until I was about to die and then they stopped. And they said, okay, that's good. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from the Gentiles, that's us, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's Paul's resume. That's what Paul would list on LinkedIn. He said, hey, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking to be a pastor in a nearby church. Here's my resume. This is what I did as an apostle of Christ. 
And in the midst of all that God showed me, in the midst of all that God would be using me to do, because we know that he was starting churches in the known world, right? All throughout the Roman Empire, where Christ was previously not known, he was making him known. And the good news is, is what we benefit from today came much from his ministry. Millennia later, right? But that's what he experienced to be able to get there. And we see that when we get to con um, the context of chapter 12, Paul's lifted up in the midst of that to the third heaven. And the expression caught up that Paul uses could refer to lifting up a small child who was about to step on something harmful. So it's like you imagine a parent coming and seeing them about to step on a scorpion so they pick them up so that they won't get hurt, right? So Paul says, in the midst of all of this, I'm getting these surpassing revelations. God's giving me these pictures that no man has seen before. But in the midst of this, I was caught up. In the midst of this, I was caught up. And the three questions in the midst of being caught up that we have to ask are, what did Paul, in the midst of being caught up, learn about himself? What did Paul learn about God? And number three, how does that apply to us? What did Paul learn about himself? What did Paul learn about God? And how does that apply to us? Well, number one, what Paul learned about himself. He said, in the midst of all of this, to keep me from exalting myself. To keep me from exalting myself. He was caught up and had these surpassing revelations from God. And all of a sudden, the temptation, whenever he experienced these surpassing revelations from God, is that he realized about himself that immediately the temptation would be to exalt himself. Now, this isn't just about Christian education, right? We often get a big head the more we learn about God, right? That's why God says in Scripture and Corinthians even, he says, now we know this, knowledge puffs up but love builds up, right? He said, we all know that we possess knowledge, but the man who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know as he ought to know. Why? Because knowledge puffs up and love, obedience to God actually builds up. And those who love God are actually known by God, not those who, those who know about God, right? But Paul was in this situation of revelatory experience with God, and he said, what I need to understand is that I was about to exalt myself on the heels of this revelation. And it doesn't just apply to your spiritual walk. It could be any type of success in life. It could be your career advancement. It could be the academic success that you have when different letters start coming after your name. First you have one acronym, then you have another, then you have a third, right? And then the challenge is not to be what? Puffed up. Or if you have some sense of perceived security in life, right? The challenge is, is that you look at other people and their conditions, and the challenge is I'm not going to exalt myself, even in my own mind, right? Even in my own mind, thinking myself better, thinking myself more accomplished, thinking myself better, you know, more able to deal with life than everybody else. And he said, to keep me from exalting myself, Paul, who had the revelation of the heights of glory, 
now has a revelation of the depths of depravity. He discovers that his heart is so sinful, it could use this gracious gift of exalted revelation to exalt himself. And isn't that the nature of us, right? We get something that could quite frankly be for the benefit of others, but we think that, but our reaction is, let me tell myself how great I am, how learned I am, how much I have. How dark is the human heart that we could turn a gracious encounter with Christ into an opportunity to exalt ourselves. This was reflected even in the throwing down of Satan himself in Isaiah, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. It said that it was an encounter. Remember Jesus, whenever he was ministering, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw God cast him down. He was once in the presence of God and God cast him down to the earth. Now, why did he do that? He said, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will make myself like the most high. I will make myself like God. That's the nature of sin, is it not? I will be my own ruler. I'll be my own judge. I will make myself like God. I'll steal the honor that's only due God. That's the nature of sinful humanity. And Paul's saying to keep myself from being exalted, to keep me from exalting myself. Not that God was exalting me, but he said to keep me from exalting myself. I was given a thorn. Paul realizes that he could commit the same sin Lucifer committed. Anybody ever think about that about themselves? that I could commit the same sin as Lucifer. I could try to exalt myself rather than exalting God. What is God's gracious solution to this tendency in our heart? The answer may be one of the most difficult concepts to understand in all of scripture, that he allowed him to have a thorn. So Paul understood about himself that in the midst of surpassing revelation, his tendency, like all of us, was to exalt himself. But what he learned about God was how he dealt with that lovingly and graciously. What is the thorn that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 12? The word Paul uses for thorn could be translated stake or spike. If you think about, uh, anybody see The Greatest Showman? Okay, sort of like you remember the fancy the times of all the... Uh, the traveling circuses. I, I miss the circus. Does anybody miss the circus? I do. But remember, they used to have tents outside and they put stakes in the ground to keep things from blowing away, right? This is the same type of word that's used. It's an appropriate picture for one who was concerned about his heart being lifted up in conceit, the thorn, giving a stake or a spike. God caught me up, Paul said, to the third heavens, 
He said, I was tempted to lift myself up in pride and conceit. God pinned me down with a spike. You see that? He's saying my temptation was to be lifted up because of my success. Everybody ever been there before and sort of lost a sense of reality? How about this? Has anybody ever been in a situation before where somebody has said of you or you had to say of a friend or a family member, hey man, you've changed. You've gotten all these accomplishments now. You're not the same person you were before. You start to roll differently. You start to act differently, right? Anybody ever had a friend like that before? It's like they just change, right? Lift it up. And he's saying, listen, to keep me from that, God has given me a spike. Paul's heart wanted to, store, uh, to soar in elevated pride, but the thorn kept him pinned to reality. <laughs> but the question is, where does the, where does the thorn come from? I submit to you that there's both an immediate cause and an ultimate cause. Paul is clear when we look at 2 Corinthians 12 that the thorn is a messenger of Satan. The thorn is a messenger of Satan. You must understand that this world that we live in is not just natural. Does everybody realize that? Just as there is a God, there is a devil, and there is a supernatural reality that you're interacting with on a daily basis. And you are sowing into things supernatural, whether it be supernaturally sowing into God or supernaturally sowing into the enemy's pleasure. But in this case, there is an enemy that came against Paul. There is an enemy that comes against your soul, and it is Satan, who, which means the accuser, the adversary, your enemy. He is not your friend. Though he might offer you all the things that you desire, materially, relationally, though he might offer you all the things that you might want in terms of belonging, supposedly, right, in a certain crowd, he said, he is not your friend. He is your enemy, your adversary. And Satan comes as a messenger. You as a Christian. Let me, let me just go on an aside real quick. We all as Christians need to learn something called spiritual warfare. Hello. Everybody needs to learn spiritual warfare. How to stand on God's word and resist the devil until he flees. To see God break yokes off of people's hearts, minds, and lives, and see them come into the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for them by his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. See, spiritual warfare, when you intercede, you are stepping into the place of coming into agreement with God's word and breaking contracts that the enemy has over people's lives. See, when Jesus sent people out, his disciples, he said, I'm, pre I'm sending you out to preach the good news and to drive out demons. To actually drive demonic forces out of people who are being tormented and oppressed. That's the finger of God amongst us. Oh, we've seen it and we're gonna see it some more. And the good news is if you're here tormented today, let me tell you something. The first place that Jesus drove out a demon was in the synagogue in the place of worship, in the place where they come week after week to learn the word of God. But still, until Jesus showed up, they were tormented in their soul. And when Jesus showed up, the demonized person said, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of God, have you come to torment me? And Jesus, you know what he said? 
Stone cold, he said, be quiet. <laughs> In essence, shut up and get out of him. You demonic, unclean spirit, I've come to set him free. Why? Because there's an enemy, a tormentor, that Jesus comes to crush underneath our feet. And he's saying very practically here that that's the Satan who came to give the thorn. It's a messenger of Satan. The thorn was from Satan. The messenger continually, it said, harassed him. Anybody know of people who've been harassed before? Can't get to sleep. I'm talking about even things like that. The insomnia. I'm not just talking about the medical condition. I'm talking about something spiritual. Every time they go to bed, there's like a dark presence that they can't get rid of. Well, Jesus said, I'm going to come and drive it out if they take up my authority. Oh, we've seen that before too. The torment of their thoughts harassing them day by day. When Jesus looked at the crowd, he said they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, but I'm coming for them. I'm coming for them to set them free. And in this instance, Paul said, though, that there was a messenger that continually harassed him. The Greek word translated harass means to beat with a clenched fist. That's what it feels like when you're harassed emotionally, psychologically, right? Just having a beating again and again and again, beating with a clenched fist. It was the same word used of the soldiers who tortured Jesus when he was turned over to Pilate beating him with clenched fist. And that's the immediate cause. But the question is, is not just what the immediate cause is, but where does the thorn come from? The ultimate cause. In Paul's case, the thorn was given to him. Who gave it to him? What was the purpose it was given to him? The question is, in Paul's case, doing what's right before God. Would our adversary ever give us something that would keep us from pride? You see, this messenger of Satan comes to beat against us, but the result is, is that it's keeping Paul from pride. You see that? The messenger of Satan beats against him, but he said the result was I was brought to humility. Do you think that's the devil's plan for your life? To increase humility in your heart to keep you from pride? The answer is no, no trick questions. Would our adversary ever give us something that would make us more, not less dependent on God? Question, would he? Because that's what that thorn did for Paul, right? That thorn that messenger of Satan made him more dependent on God. Anybody ever been there before? Oh, let me tell you, I've been in places in my life where I felt full of strength, full of strength. Oh, full of, oh, I know what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, you know what I mean? Oh, we're rocking and rolling. And you know what? I was like a balloon, an untethered balloon. And the more good, I, the better I felt about myself, the more I was drifting. Drifting from dependency on God, drifting from my prayer life, drifting from my word life, right? Why? Because I already knew the answers. Anybody ever been there before? 
Anybody ever had a measure of success in your business life and said, you know what, I just keep getting promoted, promoted, promoted. I'm not even praying that much, so it must be fine. (laughs) Must be good. God must be good with all that I'm doing. Don't ever mistake temporary worldly success for God's pleasure. Hello. The messenger of Satan helped Paul stay pinned down. And the truth of the matter is, is that God's grace works through all the painful events of life to accomplish his purpose. God's grace works through all the painful events of life to accomplish his purpose. That is reality. And that's our heavenly father who's sovereign over all, loving, gracious, abundant, kind, knowing not just what we want, but also what we need. Let me tell you, if you're a parent now, you understand this. If you're a parent one day, you will understand this, that you have kids who want things all the time, but you've got to learn to not give them what they want all the time, but what they need, lest you have what? You can call them, sorry, you're not going to offend anybody. They get spoiled, (laughs) right? Anybody ever seen a terror of a kid in a a grocery store? And you're like, somebody do something about that child, (laughs) right? Somebody do something about them. And it's like, you know, like you get to the point where you're like, listen, if you're not going to do it, I will, (laughs) you know? (laughs) God gives us not what we always want, but what we need. Sometimes it comes through a thorn. And he says, in the midst of the thorn, it is not because I don't love you. It is because I do. It is not because I'm not with you. It's because I am. It's not because I'm not concerned about your future or your calling. It's because I am. It's not because I'm not going to even bring you there. It's because I am that you need this at this time. Who is it that allowed it? See, God's not, even in the midst, let me tell you something about spiritual warfare. Even in the midst of the battle, do you know that God is still always in control? There is never a time where God's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the devil did that. (laughs) I didn't think he'd go that far, you know? He's always in control. The devil is on a leash. When you look at the book of Job, you see him on a leash. Even the ways that he came against Job. God said, hey, listen, Satan was going to and fro considering all the servants of mankind. And he said, God said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's faithful in all that he does before me. And he said to God, he was like, does he worship you? Does he praise you for no reason? Take away your protection of his stuff. Take away your protection of his health. Take your prayer, your protection of all these things. Then let's see if he praises you. And you know what God said? All right, you have permission. You have permission, but you can't take his life. That's mine. So he set the boundaries even on what the enemy could do. That's the good news. There is nothing you will experience that God's not in control of that God is not all powerful over. 
His sufficient grace is there in the midst of the challenges, not despite them. He says, I am with you. My power is made perfect in weakness, and it's meant to accomplish his purposes. So how does that apply to us? There are three historic views of adversity that I'd like to submit to you. The first two, I think, are a little bit off, and I'd like to say, what can we see from that scripture about the third? The first view of adversity is that all bad things come from the devil. All bad things come from the devil. Therefore, our response should be to resist and rebuke them, right? If you ever had been there before, it's like, but then you start calling everything the devil. And everything that you just don't like is the devil. Somebody like, you know, corrects you. You're like, get behind me, Satan. You know, it's like, okay, no, no, that's not the devil. That's just you being rubbed the wrong way, Okay. The corollary is that if the problem persists, though, if everything's the devil, you need more faith or your faith is not strong enough. Anybody ever been beat up by that thought before? Sort of like, listen, I've been doing everything that I can to resist the devil. And if it's all the devil, why isn't it changing? Why isn't it changing? Obviously, it's because of me, my lack of faith. I'm not strong enough. You see, that's not what Paul said. Make sense? There's a second, a second historic view that says all bad things come from God to teach us, humble us, discipline us. It's more of like a fatalism, right? Whatever comes, I must submit to. You know, some of my friends in other faiths, yeah, I mean, they're just sort of like everything is the will of God. Therefore, in that context, our response should be to accept our circumstances and pray for the patience to endure it. Whatever comes, comes, and I just have to deal with it. The corollary to that is that if the problem persists, you haven't yet learned your lesson. <laughs> That's what people begin to say, okay? Well, you're going to stay here until you learn your lesson. <laughs> right? Remember like time out back in the day? Mom, can I get up? No, you can get back in that corner. <laughs> you haven't learned your lesson. As if God does that, right? A little bit incomplete, though, based on what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 12. So we sub- that's right. So we submit to you. <laughs> we submit. We're crashing down all the false theology. No, I'm scared. <laughs> so we submit to you. This third option, based on 2 Corinthians 12, and this is where we're going to wrap it up. Verse, view number three. All bad things can come from the devil, but are allowed by God to transform you into the image of his son. See, when you are tempted, the Bible very clearly says God doesn't tempt you. Right? Is temptation bad? Hello? The answer is yes. Come on. People will repent and believe the good news, okay? But it's not from God, right? Is it allowed by God? Yes. But is it authored of God? No. God doesn't tempt anybody with sin. God's not like, I want to I want to create my, the image of my son in you, so I'm going to tell you all the bad things that you need to do and then say no to. 
That's what I'm going to do for you. God doesn't do that. In this particular perspective, what we see in 2 Corinthians is that <clears throat> if bad things can come from the messenger of Satan, but are allowed by God to transform you into the image of his son, what should our response therefore be? It should be to resist and rebuke the enemy while we allow God to conform us into the image of his son. You see, there's a simultaneous thing. I can stand against the devil and resist him until he flees and still practice patience until he does. Does that make sense? The fruit of the Holy Spirit working with the promise of God. And therefore, the corollary, corollary is God causes not some things, but all things to work for his glory and our benefit. Even the challenges that we experience while we're praying to resist them. See, when Paul was talking to the Thessalonian church, he said, I want you to thank God in all circumstances. All circumstances. Why? Because they're the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Watch this now. Does him saying, I want you to thank me in all circumstances, mean that he wants you to stay in all circumstances? The answer is no, right? You can be in a circumstance that he's using to form and shape you, and he's forming and shaping you on your way out. Think back to Egypt, right? God was blessing the Israelites in Egypt, multiplying them so much so that the Egyptians said, hey, listen, they're too many for us now. We gotta, they're a threat to us, right? Even a military threat to us. We gotta get them out. And they were enslaved there, but was it God's desire to keep them there? The answer was no. But did he use that to show who he was and his power? through the plagues that came against the Egyptians, the deliverance that came for the Israelites. That's one of the foundations of our faith. God's delivering power, right? So he says, thank me in the midst of the circumstance. That doesn't mean I want you to stay there. I want you in the promised land. I want you in the life of promise that I have for you. But no, in the midst of it, it's going to be for my glory and your good. That thorn that you feel like is beating you to keep you from being exalted because that belongs to me, right? Not me, God, <laughs> right? <laughs> so in conclusion, <laughs> before I get in trouble, <laughs> there is something better than relief. It's grace. A lot of times we're just searching for relief. Say, God, change my circumstance. Change my circumstance. It's not that he won't, but he says there's something better than relief. It's grace, sufficient grace. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 wanted relief. God gave him grace. He said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And the dependency that we need that will start us and keep us is found in that 
sufficient grace. Okay, a lot to think about. But we invite the worship team back. And as the worship team is coming back, this is a message for not just a Christian, but also somebody who's been considering God. Could it be the very thing that's driven you to this place today is the thing that God wants to use to bring you in humility to the cross? (laughs) Turning away from that way which you've been living to faith in Jesus and living for him, his way, today.